electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, Wall Street bull Jeremy Siegel on the market's next big milestone. We're, what, 2% away from 30,000. If there was good news on this virus front, we would pop above 30,000, I think, without question. The state attorney general suing Juul for targeting kids. We've got kids who are sleeping with vaping devices under their pillow at night and are being treated by pediatricians. Vanity Fair's Bill Cohan on Mayor Mike Bloomberg as a presidential candidate. I mean, what more could you ask for? He's sort of the anti-Trump. But will a million dollars a day in Facebook ads be enough to offset his stop-and-frisk history? A former Bloomberg deputy mayor responds to critics. His focus recently on policies to support the minority community will hopefully punch through this issue. Those stories and many more today from the coronavirus to Bezos's big buy. This is like a, can you say real estate porn? I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, February 13th, 2020. Squawk Pot begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, the march to 30K. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is hovering above 29,000, putting the most recognizable metric of the health of the U.S. stock market in striking range of the next big round milestone number. A Dow at 30,000 shows the strength of the ongoing bull market, dating back to the financial crisis low over a decade ago. Since that time, investors have made more than $32 trillion in wealth. Jeremy Siegel, finance professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, has something of a track record in predicting market milestones. Back in 2015, his forecast that the Dow would see 20,000 was optimistic. It was also right. Here's Jeremy Siegel on Squawk Box today. Professor, how you doing? Good to see you. Good morning. There may be no one more associated with Dow 30,000 than you because in, in 20,000, and I think you even have, have gone higher than that. So we know that, that you've been right and you've said stay long, you've been bullish, but we did say that, that you talked about something that might derail the, um, the bull market. Is, is there something specific that's changed in your, in your view, or they ask you, or people ask you, and you said, well, this could happen? What, what, do you have a different view, viewpoint now on the long-term bull? Well, certainly anything can happen. Uh, what I'm pointing out is that we, we are trading around 20 times this year's earnings, or my estimate of this year's earnings. I mean, that is not out, uh, unreasonable, low interest rate environment in today's world, but it's certainly not cheap. Uh, I also worry about momentum players. I think in the last two or three years, we've had more and more momentum players that jump onto trends. And that's what I t- talked about in January. Uh, now, we had the virus come in, kind of interrupted it. Now, are we, we going to get back to that trend uh, what I saw two years ago is uh, in 2018, remember, we were straight up in January. 
again, when people forget about valuations, the market could get too high. We're not there yet. We're, what, 2% away from 30,000. I think if, we, if there was good news on this virus front, uh, we would pop above 30,000, I think, without question. And, okay, so these, like so many uh, individuals, you are, are, you're not mentioning it, but there's short-term, there's intermediate-term, and there's long-term uh, uh, stances that, that you take. Long-term, are, are things in place for more gains over the next five years and in, in above 30,000, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my, from, from a 20 price-earnings ratio, uh, you look for about a 5% return after inflation. If we have that 2% inflation, that gives us about a, a 7% return, uh, I look at, over the next five years on, on stocks. Now, that's about a 2% dividend and a 5% capital gain. Now, year to year, we know there's a lot of volatility that it could be way up and down. But uh, that's a, the 7% return is a little bit lower than long-term historical because we're a little bit higher than the average valuation. But look at where else are you going to go? Treasury bonds are 1.5%. Savings accounts are 1% or less. Uh, that's still a very good return in today's world. So less than long-term, but still pretty healthy for, for long, uh, long-term investors. So that would be... Okay, so five, what do we do to do the rule seven of 70? Per, yeah, do we do seven, 5%? Yeah. So we, we're, we're going to double again in, in 10 years or something, or 12 years. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a 5% uh, uh, return on, on the average uh, would double what in, in, I guess, in about 14 years. Yeah, 14 years. Uh, from 30,000 to 60,000 uh, when we look that far ahead. So, yeah, I mean, we'll eventually get there. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think many people are worried about that long uh, horizon. But let's face it. I mean, those people, younger people today, planning for their retirement, 30-year IRAs, you're going to get 7% return in the long run from today's levels. That's, that's something that still argues strongly for stocks. All right. Thanks, okay. uh, Professor. Okay, back to the, uh, the coronavirus and an update. The number of confirmed cases jumped by 15,000 overnight to a total of now more than 60,000, partly because uh, the Wuhan province, which is at the heart of the outbreak, is using a diagnostic method that can identify the virus faster, which on face value that is the faster you do it. I, I want the info, although it wasn't good news uh, in terms of cases. We talked about it. How many, you know, are, is it an accurate number that we're getting when, uh, we've never, we, we've when healthy people, on, yeah. right? But when healthy people get it and you can't tell the, the, the coronavirus from necessarily the, the, the flu or cold or whatever. So you don't know. If you're not testing them, you have no idea. This, this doesn't give me a lot of, uh, I don't feel real good about this. The, What's that? The WHO was appeasing China. They, they didn't right. do well, the necessary things. Exactly. Or slowly they, they Exactly. exactly. They, they, China says, don't worry about it. And they say, okay, well, if you say so. Um, Eunice Yoon joins us now uh, with more. Fill us in, Eunice. Yeah, that's right, Joe. So Hubei province, which is the epicenter of the outbreak, um, is now changing the way that it confirms its cases. So it has two groups, one that it calls confirmed, and those people are confirmed with a test kit. And then the other group are people who are clinically diagnosed. So they are confirmed by using a CT scan. 
So um, because of that new change in methodology, um, we're seeing this uh, jump in in the numbers. And uh, the uh, it looks as though the aim of it all is to be able to get patients treatment as well as in quarantine faster. But there's still a lot of people who have been doubting the numbers and saying that China is changing its its procedures in order to obscure the figures. Eunice, can I just ask you, um What would happen if they found that you had a temperature as you were trying to get into your apartment building? Well, it still varies um, from place to place, but um, the but for a lot of places, you do have to go to the hospital. And so there have been um, some situations where people have um, had a temperature and then um, the authorities there, the security officers uh, wanted to make sure that you get to the hospital and then people have run off and then. Um, then they've been collected and taken to the hospital. So there's there's just a, a lot of inconsistency in the way uh, the the um, authorities are approaching this. Eunice, the the it's now COVID nineteen. Are people calling it? Is that am I pronouncing that right? COVID nineteen uh, is the name yeah, of, right. of the of the that's the area. I guess Corona is CO, and then uh, V is yeah. the virus and nineteen. The 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 way that it that it uh, actually came about. Are, are there, is there scuttlebutt over there on whether it was naturally occurring or on whether maybe there was, you know, SARS has been in a lab and there are these containment labs and SARS has gotten out a few times. That, that's documented already. Um, is there a scuttlebutt? Uh, yeah. Is there, what, what's the current thinking on whether this was natural or some type of bioengineered strain that got, uh, that got out? I think the vast majority of people uh, still believe that it is uh, that it originated from the wet market. But as you said, there are there there are plenty of theories out there uh, yeah. that um, perhaps because Wuhan does have a lab there and it's a P4 lab P4 and lab. Um, there was a bio. Chemi- a, a biochemical uh, weapons expert um, who uh, went uh, f- uh, from the Chinese military, who's there now, who was there to um, look at some of these testing kits and to try to expedite the, um, you know, the, the the availability of these testing kits. That uh, because she is there, that um, maybe this was man-made, and there's a theory that it could have been a part of a bioweapons program. But that's just theory. And I, I also heard a counter theory, which is that this is the American. Americans that um, have created this, and that the reason for that is because the Americans want to make money off of the Chinese by creating um, a problem here and then creating a solution in the form of a vaccine or a treatment. Thanks, Eunice. This is like a real estate. Can you say this is like real estate porn? This next story is that what we can call it? That's what this is. Maybe. Uh, so and you're a voice. We're voyeurs. Is yeah. she, is there, that's you know what you, you like know, to watch. Uh, <laughs> right. Jeff Bezos shelling out a record 165 million dollars for his new home. He's buying the Warner Estate in Los Angeles from media mogul David Geffen. Property has sprawling gardens, several guest houses, a tennis court, and its own nine-hole golf course. Reports say uh, no real estate agents were involved in the transaction. For context, if Bezos financed the home with a 30-year mortgage at current rates, his monthly payment would be more than $750,000. i got to say, everybody looks at this as a Bezos story. Mm-hmm. I think the missing story is David Geffen, who is an absolute genius investor. Everything he touches turns Everything to gold. Everything this, this man touches turns yeah. to gold. He does it in the art world. Yep. He clearly does it in the business world. And he has done it in the real estate world. And um, yachts worth more. It's 
quite remarkable. The yacht may not be. The, the yacht's that's a, depreciating, that's uh, here's depreciating what, assets. Here's cool. what I immediately thought. In the old days when we had that great laugh track of Jeff Bezos when he was laughing, what I would do right now if we were still allowed to use it, I would, I would say, hey, Jeff, you do realize, of course, that your monthly nut is going to be 750000 And then I'd have him laughing. Oh, laugh well, because that really, I mean, buying the so- house is, is like, he's like, Jeff, it's, it's that's a lot of money, isn't it? And then he would laugh. My, we'd make him laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Pocket lint. Pocket lint. Literally. In the couch. He used to say when he sold shares, he'd say, oh, it's because I'm funding Blue Origin. Right. Now I think he's selling shares and buying property. What if I, if we tape me doing my imitation of his laugh? No, please don't. And then we run me doing it. That way we wouldn't be running him doing it anymore. Wouldn't that be good, though, to run that now and say, Jeff, are you sure you Are you sure you can afford seven hundred fifty thousand a month? Clearly, cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod. Among the Democrats on Wall Street, what do you think they do if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders is the nominee? Probably vote for Trump. Vanity Fair's Bill Cohan on voting options for Wall Streeters as we close in on Super Tuesday. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Presidential hopeful Michael Bloomberg is pouring money into social media ads for his campaign, spending a million dollars a day on Facebook ads alone over the past two weeks. That's five times more than what the president has been spending over the same period and three times more than what Donald Trump spent on Facebook ads during his 2016 run. Andrew Ross Sorkin asked Perella Weinberg chairman Bob Steele whether Bloomberg has the right idea when it comes to his ad strategy. Now, Bob Steele was also New York City's deputy mayor for economic development during Bloomberg's administration. Most of the big themes that Mayor Bloomberg's talking about have nothing to do with the economy. He very rarely talks about the economy per se. He does talk about jobs to some degree, but most of the advertising is focused on climate, it's focused on guns, it's focused on getting Trump out of office based on character. Do you think that he has to touch on the economy, or is that the Achilles heel here? That the, or is the that Trump the is move doing... to the center if, right. if he gets oh, I, 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 I'm not sure I take that on. I think that when you look at the, I said number one is changing the White House. When we go through the four issues, I believe it's health care, climate, uh, education, and the economy. And the economy has two parts. Grow the economy and shared success. And I believe that whether you look at raising the minimum wage, understanding the importance of a, of a predictable, logical budget, uh, running a trillion-dollar deficit at this stage in the economic cycle is not logical. I do have to ask you, how is he going to confront the challenge of, and it just happened again, the, the tape uh, that came out this week, uh, on stop and frisk and what he said about the minority community because it's something that I think it was a weird answer. He goes, "Well, that was five years ago." It's like, "Well, no. you were in your seventies five years ago. You weren't in your teens." Well, I, I think that um, that when Mayor Bloomberg left um, office in 2013, he said he would have no comments on anything related to the city, none, and he lived by that. 
And when he decided to run for president, he thought he had to address this issue. Right. And he said two things. And he wrote about it, and he spoke about right. it, and he's continued to do it. He said two things. One, in hindsight, I wish we had reduced stop and frisk at a faster rate. And he said, I did not understand the effect on the community and right. what this did with regard to culture and things like that. And I apologize. And, and that's what he said. I think it's a forceful answer. People have to, to process it right. in their own way. I think his record on reducing crime and also reducing incarceration and his focus recently on policies to support the minority right. community will hopefully punch through this issue. Bob Steele, thank you for coming in this morning. Okay. Uh, meantime, with Bernie Sanders scoring victory in New Hampshire and Vice President Biden's campaign struggling, who will Wall Street back? In the 2020 election, I want to welcome Bill Cohen, who's here, author of Four Friends, Promising Lives Cut Short, also a CNBC contributor and a, a longtime, I'd call you like a Wall Street Denzian, I think, or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah? I think that Maybe. might be a good Wall Street word. Goyen. Uh, and uh, Andy Denzian? Puzder. Yeah, I was thinking. Denizen. 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 Denizen is the word. Denizen's the word. Uh, Andy Puzder, uh, former uh, CK restaurant CEO. I, I will go to here. Uh, you, uh, William, the you denizens. saw the, yes, the denizen. You saw Lloyd Blankfein out with his his tweet, which I'm not sure is, is probably only helping Sanders, frankly. But the question is, among the Democrats on Wall Street, what do you think they do if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders is the nominee? Probably vote for Trump. <laughs> I mean, I think I think. Uh, uh, Look, I think they would admire if, if say it's not Mike, right? And I think they really appreciate Mike, Mike, Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg, right? right. If, if I think they really appreciate this idea that he's fomenting, or that that he will support whoever the Democratic nominee with his many billions, and I right. think that they they really like that. But I, I've had more than one Wall Street guy and more than one corporate CEO say, "Look, I mean Bernie and Elizabeth Warren." I just can't go there. It's a bridge too far. I can, I can do Pete. I can do Klobuchar. I can do Mike Bloomberg. I cannot do Bernie uh, or, or Elizabeth Warren. And therefore, the devil I know, as much as I hate him, uh, is better. And his policies, his economic policies, I can live with. I can muddle through for another four. I mean, that is staggering because Bernie on, on the predicted websites is clearly the, the favorite right now. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, Personally, I think that's crazy. I mean, it's crazy on the on the it, websites. Or it's crazy, crazy on the websites. I, I don't see how Bernie. He, won, he just won. Uh, well, he, I can see how he wins the Democratic nomination. Oh, that's what I mean. Right. That, well, that, that's I don't see how he beats Donald Trump. I, I don't. Well, that's I don't what I mean. That. But it's amazing that the Democratic Party well, might pick. Bernie. And you know what? They, they're setting themselves up for the criticism that he that he, they screwed him last time. They're setting themselves up that the establishment is not going to let it happen. Well, I mean, sometimes this happens. Look what happened. I mean, I'm old enough to remember George McGovern, right? Yeah, he lost 49 states. 49 I mean, states. I loved him, but, you know, oh, I was 18, or, you know, right, yeah, I loved right. him. Uh, uh, but but you, you'd still love him. A route. And I probably I, still would love what him. I know of you. And yeah, I still would love him. But, hey, Andy, yeah. Andy, I want to turn around and ask you a different question, which is to say, on the Republican side of the aisle, if Bloomberg were the nominee, how many classic Republican business people do you think, who, who have been supportive of Trump uh, because they didn't like Hillary Clinton last time, would they switch this time? I, I don't think you'd have a lot of them. You could have some. Uh, I think we've got problems uh, on, the, on the right. The Trump supporters have problems with Bloomberg on tax policy and such. I, and I think Bloomberg has bigger problems. Look, Bloomberg's going to lose. He's never going to have that 25% of the, of the Democratic vote that's supporting Bernie Sanders. 
Uh, his supporters will believe that Bloomberg bought the election. And he's not, he, you know, there was an article in the New York Times this morning by Charles Blow really attacking uh, Bloomberg uh, from the African-American community's perspective. And if you lose, if, you know, Trump's, Trump's got approval ratings in the 30 percent range among African-Americans, which is very high for a Republican. If he gets 20, 25 percent of the African-American vote, and he could if Bloomberg's the candidate, it's a landslide win for the president. So I don't, I don't really think Republicans switching to Bloomberg is really going to offset the problems Democrats have if Bloomberg's the nominee. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. This conversation was way too quick. Can you guys? Uh, can we do it? Yeah, that just, is too quick. I, I agree with the Denizen, by the way. I uh, think his analysis was good. We can keep it going. We can keep the conversation going. You were nodding well, your head. I, I mean, I was nodding my head in disagreement. I, yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> Andy, uh, you know, I, who I admire what he's accomplished, I think he's completely wrong. I think if the, if the if Bloomberg somehow can work his way to be the Democratic nominee. He will get the support of, of the black community, of, of minorities. He will get a lot of support, right. and I think he will be. But how excited would Bernie and AOC and, and Warren Democrats be to go out and vote that on the, in the election? They'll be excited Just to, to, be, be Trump? to be I don't, Trump. I don't think so. I think they will be <laughs> excited to be Trump. It didn't know. happen in the last election. I mean, no. they well, didn't go to Hillary sort of, once, uh, sort of once the election went so mad went about forward. Bernie getting screwed again. That Yep, that's exactly so. right. They'll be so irritated. I mean, they're already, you know, they're already they're already believing that in Iowa, you know, that the party screwed him. They're concerned that Bloomberg's going to get to debate uh, when, you know, by essentially buying his way into the debate. And then there's all the superdelegate problems that uh, that the Bernie supporters have that have now come up. So it's some real problems. Andy, what is your no? the, the, The thing that I actually do find staggering is when business people have a problem actually with with Bloomberg only because. Classically, in a normal world, you would look at him, I think, and say, as I've said before, that he's the most competent and accomplished business person that you probably even know of, frankly. You know, a lot of times we've got very, very accomplished people in the business community who then go out and want to pursue policies that aren't consistent exactly. with the rest of the company, the rest of the country growing economically. And I think we see that and did uh, with you think Michael that he Bloomberg. was successful as a mayor? Oh, I do think he was successful Remarkably. as a mayor, but I think a lot of so the I'm reasons trying, he's very, successful are going to alienate to people. So, so he's got a great track record as a mayor. He's got a great track. I mean, yep. Charles Blow aside, he he's got a great, a great track, track record, record as a, record a, as a businessman. I mean, what more could you ask for? He's sort of the anti-Trump in that regard. He's well, a, well, you, you need good, po- good policy. state. I don't want a nanny state. I, I not climate change isn't my primary objective, and I don't take my private jet to Tuckerstown and then preach ch- climate change. I don't uh, the gun you control. Trump did the same thing. He took his private jet to. Tuckerstown and right, but he's not preaching no, climate he's, change. He's he not being a hypocrite when he does it. He, he's not a he's not a climate change guy. No. Look, Trump's been incredibly but, successful these first three years. Yeah, exactly. I think that's going to overwhelm and overwhelm anything reflect that Bloomberg on. did as mayor. Anyway, uh, thank you, uh, Cohen. Thank you. Still vote for McGovern. I love you. I, I, I lo- <laughs> Absolutely. I, hey, I voted for <laughs> I voted for McGovern <laughs> too. I was twenty two years old. Uh, he, he did. I was young too, and he, believe it or not, and he did conjure up Absolutely. certain. Uh, I don't know. There was an energy there, but we had lived through the '60s. It's a different. Hey man. Yep. <laughs> Dude. And there was, there was right. Nixon was not exactly. Uh, you know. I have voted for favorite. Jimmy Carter. I voted for Jimmy Carter. So did I. Yeah. But I. I, 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 if Nixon were around now, I, I might vote for him again. Yeah. So I don't know. I've changed. Anyway, uh, thank you, Annie. Thank, thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, suing Jewel, the state of Massachusetts, against the e-cigarette maker for marketing vaping to kids. 
We know that they place ads not only on websites like Nickelodeon, but also on homework apps. So kids, you know, in middle school doing their math homework would get a Juul ad. Yes, yeah, seriously. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ostorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. The state of Massachusetts is going after e-cigarette maker Juul for allegedly marketing its products to young people and, quote, creating a youth vapor epidemic. The suit from Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey claims that Juul bought advertising on websites for Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network and Seventeen magazine after launching its product more than four years ago. The new allegations are at odds with claims from Juul executives that the company never intentionally targeted teenagers. Joining us right now to talk about the suit is Massachusetts AG Maura Healey. And uh, thank you for being with us today. Hey, good, good morning. Great to be with you. Let's talk a little bit about the, the documents that you found that seem to contradict what Juul executives have said in the past. What, what were those documents? What did they show? Yeah, I mean, they totally contradict what Juul has represented. For a long time, <clears throat> Juul has said, we're about getting adults to try to stop smoking cigarettes, when really what we know from our investigation and Juul's own documents is that their whole effort was to try to get kids hooked to get kids to start vaping because they wanted to create a whole new class of consumers. I'll tell you what we do know from our investigation. We found documents showing that Juul actually rejected an ad campaign that was directed at older people and instead used one that was directed specifically at young people, um, making them look cool and hip through the use of fashion models, trying to recruit celebrities and social media influencers that are really popular with teens. Um, we know that they place ads not only on websites like Nickelodeon, but also on homework apps. So kids, you know, in middle school doing a their homework math homework app? would get a Juul ad. Yes, right. seriously. So, and obviously we have the data showing they sold Juul into Massachusetts to, to kids who are underage. So, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming about what this company's intention was. And unfortunately, they were really successful. We've got a lot of kids hooked. There's no ambiguity. It shows that they very specifically wanted to target children on a homework app, on the Cartoon Network website, on Nickelodeon website. It wasn't some massive buy at a larger company and it accidentally wound up there? No, not at all. And in fact, we have the documents showing the correspondence and the dialogue with the creative ad agency and the discussion and the determination at Juul to 
let's not go in the direction of the older ad, you know, the campaign targeting the older, older people and adults. Let's go in the direction of an effort to campaign and, and target a young audience. And unfortunately, you know, one in four kids right now in this country are vaping. We've never seen an increase like we've seen um, with, with the substance of vaping. And I can tell you just from listening to parents and coaches and teachers, I mean, it's an epidemic. It's a public health crisis. And it's just really upsetting that this company, in a drive to make boatloads of money, and, you know, they brought back $3.3 billion last year alone, this was all on the backs of exploiting kids and getting them hooked. These are kids who never would have started smoking to what's, begin with. And unfortunately, they're vaping. What's your goal? Is it to shut the company down? Well, it's to get them to stop uh, bad practices. We don't want them misleading uh, their, with their marketing. We don't want them targeting young people. We don't want them selling to, to, to kids My underage. My guess is they will say, we've stopped those practices. We're not doing that anymore. Well, you know, sure. But the genie's out of the bottle. It's too mm -hmm. late. And that's why we're obviously well, that's, seeking that's money and damages. Yeah. yeah, we're seeking money and damages, right? I mean, we've got a lot of kids who need a lot of treatment, who need a lot of help now for nicotine addiction. We've got kids here who are getting kicked out of school, kicked off sports teams. Um, college has been put at risk simply because they've become addicted. We've got kids who are sleeping with vaping devices under their pillow at night and are being treated by pediatricians. So, you know, no, they've no got to pay this for is, this. If, no question that Jewel bears responsibility for this. But do you also look at the media companies or the homework app and say they bear responsibility for accepting those ads? Well, certainly, we'll, you know, we, have, we have a broad look, but I'll tell you, we've already taken action against a number of e-cigarette companies. I've shut down eight companies that were selling online to kids underage here. But let's face it, Juul created this market. Juul is 75% of the market today. They were the first to market with this product and really made it popular. So a lot of third parties have come on board and will certainly be vigilant and hold them accountable as we have already. Mm -hmm. But Jewel really created this and started this, and that's why they need to be held accountable. Attorney General Healy, thank you for your time. Great to be with you. That's the podcast for today. On our rundown tomorrow, John Hope Bryant, the entrepreneur who started Operation Hope in the wake of the L.A. riots and grew it into a 40-company force for engaging the underbanked in America. I hope you'll tune in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 